Praise the Lord. Grateful to be in the house of the Lord. Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Should have an outline that says defeating demons, Matthew 8, chapter 20, or 8, verses 28 through 34. Does everybody have one of those? Looks like this. If you don't raise your hand, we'll make sure you get one. Okay, want to welcome all of you here into today's service. And those of you that are joining us online, God bless you. We appreciate you joining us and being with us. We have, uh, on an average throughout the year, um, people watching, on an average, about 145 people online. So they uh, outnumber us here in the sanctuary. However, we're just grateful to be able to have that ministry, and I'm, I'm glad you're tuning in with us today. We've been looking for the past month at the miracles of Jesus and uh, if you'll open up to the book of Matthew chapter 8, I also have the scriptures there on your outline for you, and I'll have them back here on the screen as well. It, it would be great if I could tell you that you don't have an enemy this morning, but I can't because you do have an enemy. You know the old saying, uh, keep your friends close, but your enemies even closer? Well, that doesn't work with this enemy. Amen? This enemy I'm talking about is the enemy of God and all that is good. He's the enemy of the entire human race, and he's the enemy of your soul as well. He does not want you to succeed. He wants you to fail. In fact, he wants to kill, to steal, and to destroy from you. There is nothing more that he would like to do than to see you fail God, to hurt the people you love, and to ruin your own life in the process. He would destroy you if he could. In fact, he's destroyed countless lives over the centuries, and I'm talking about Satan, the enemy of our soul. The Bible also calls him the serpent of old, the devil, the tempter, the accuser, and the adversary. And those are all right titles of him because he does all those things. Satan is a fallen angel. He is not on an equal plane with God. It is not good and evil equal. He was created by God as an angel, and he chose to fall. He chose to rebel against God. And so he was thrown out of heaven along with one-third of the angels, the Bible says, joined his rebellion. He was the one who introduced sin into our world in the garden to the first couple, Adam and Eve. And he continues to wreak havoc in our world today. But in today's passage... We are going to see Jesus confront and defeat Satan's demonic power. And when we talk about Satan, we are not just talking about the actual person of Satan. We are talking about him, but we are also talking about the fallen angels or demons who fell with him, one and the same. The fallen angels are the demons. And they follow his commands. It is believed that Lucifer was the worship leader in heaven. And worship leaders are very important, but worship leaders can take the glory. And that's what he wanted. And that's why the Bible says there was no place found for him in heaven. In other words, you can't have what belongs to God except what he gives you. Amen? Now, the Bible says we are a part of this huge battle. And I want you to be aware, spiritual warfare is real. And Satan really is real. And he is your enemy. But the good news of the miracle in today's passage is that Jesus has complete power over Satan and that Satan has no power 
over Jesus and those who belong to Jesus. We saw it when Jesus touched leprosy, and leprosy didn't touch Jesus. Leprosy left. We saw it when Jesus just simply spoke a word and wasn't even in the company of the centurion's servant, and he was healed that very day. We saw it when he just simply touched and rebuked the fever on Peter's mother-in-law, and she was healed. We saw it when he healed the many that were demon-possessed. And today, we're going to look at this miracle of defeating demons in three parts. First, we're going to look at verses 28 and 29 where Jesus confronts the devil or the demons. Then we're going to look at verses 30 through 32 where Jesus defeats the demons. And then we're going to look a few verses on in verses 33 and 34 where we learn that demons will still work today to deceive people if they can. Number one, Jesus confronts the demons. Now, I know I had to, this is smaller print than what I normally like to put on an outline. However, to get it on one page, I had to take it down from Verdana 12 to Times Roman, Times Roman, I think it is, 11. And that's a smaller font. Now, thankfully, uh, I got new prescription lenses not too long ago, so I can read this okay, and I hope you're okay. If you're not, that part will be up here, okay? And those of you following us online, uh, I pray that you'll be able to stay up with me. Let's read. Jesus confronts demons. And when he came to the other side, into the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men confronted him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so extremely violent that no one could pass by that way. And they cried out, saying, What business do you have with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So when Jesus and his disciples are in the boat, remember last week, what is, he, what is his miracle? Calms the sea, right? This just follows that. They just got there from the sea storm. Now they're on the other side. And as they arrive at the other side, they're confronted by two demon-possessed men, from the storm to a demon confrontation. I mean, you know, you better be prayed up if you're following Jesus. And some people are bothered by the fact, if you read this, you'll find this also in the, the Gospels of Luke and Mark. Luke and Mark does not say there were two men. Luke and Mark says there was one man that they concentrated on. And some people are bothered by the fact that Matthew is reporting two demon-possessed men, while Mark and Luke only report one demon-possessed man in each of their accounts. But there is no conflict in reporting one or two. Because we often report one person when there are more than one. For example, if I come home or go home today and I tell my wife, I saw so-and-so at church... It does not mean that so-and-so was the only person at church. It just means that I am emphasizing seeing that particular person, but there was more than one. Are you with me? Mark and Luke, neither one say there was only one man. They just simply highlight a certain man. You'll read it in Mark and Luke. There was a certain man. A particular man. There can be two apples on the counter, and yet I can say there's an apple on the counter. Am I wrong or am I right? There's, there's two apples, so there is an apple, and that's the one I'm going to talk about and look at. So, you know, Mark and Luke, in their accounts, and you're going to find this throughout the Gospels because a lot of people want to go, oh, well, there's inconsistencies, inconsistencies there in Scripture, when actually it'd be like you and I seeing an accident happen. Let's say we all see, five of us see the same accident. You know what? You're going to see something I didn't see because you're going to have been at a certain angle. That's why you've got more than one referee on a, a, full, a football field, a basketball court. Why? Because they see something that the other one doesn't see. And so I want us to look particularly, though, that Matthew and Luke are looking particularly at the man who had the most demons. Because as we'll see, he had a lot. 
Now, there are a number of things that I want you to see from Jesus' confrontation with the devil in these verses. First of all, letter A, the first is that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says this about Satan in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundant. And I want you to notice something here. Not only does Satan come to steal, kill, and destroy, I want you to notice how the Scripture says it. That's all he ever does. Watch this. The thief comes only to what? The only thing he does, it's not to help you out. It's not to show you a good time. A lot of people say, man, this sin is fun. Mm-hmm. Until he stabs you in the back. He comes only, everybody say only, to steal, kill, and destroy. If he can't steal from you, if he can't destroy it, he'll try to kill you. You know, that is almost the last thing every time there is a demon possession when, the de- when there is something going on and that demon has an argument that almost without fail, their word is, I'm going to kill you. Coming through that demon-possessed person, that's what they try to do. They try to scare whoever is trying to cast that demon out. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So everybody say that's his only business. So there's simply nothing life-giving or life-affirming about this enemy of our soul or in his actions in any way. So this is clear from these demon-possessed men who meet Jesus on the other side of the lake. Notice that where they're coming from. Where are they coming from? The tombs. Remember say the graveyard. Well, isn't that a great place to go? Now, I've gone to many graveyards because I study genealogy, but I'm not there to find spirits. Amen? They're coming from the tombs. They're coming from the place of the dead. What's one of the things the devil does? Kill. So this is appropriate that the devil is the one who kills and destroys rather than life, and the people that the demons or his followers are inhabiting are living there. Now, notice also their violent ways. They are so violent that no one can pass that way. Talk about a street you don't want to walk down at night. Satan has not only ruined these two men's lives, but he seeks further to damage anyone else who comes within the radius. Mark and Luke actually will give you further details. In, in Luke chapter 8 and verse 27, he says that at least one of these men ran around naked. And Mark 5, 5 said that one of them cut himself with stones. He was a, what we would call today a cutter. So the devil has made a wreck of these two men's lives. He's stolen them from their homes. He's stolen them from their families. He's stolen their peace and sanity. He's driven them to violence. He's cut them off from community, and he has doomed them to isolation among the tombs. And church, that is Satan's legacy. That's what he does. It's all he does. This is what the world would look like, by the way, if Satan had complete control instead of God. So the first thing we learn from Jesus' confrontation with Satan in these verses is that Satan comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, secondly, the point I want to make to you is that Satan knows that Jesus is God. I think it's amazing people who say they're an atheist. They're being fooled by a demon who believes that there is a God and believes Jesus is God. Why? Because they come to deceive. Now watch this. Verse 29. These two demon-possessed men come up to Jesus and to his disciples, and the demons scream at Jesus, what business do you have with us, son of God? Now, notice they address Jesus 
as the Son of God. Now remember, Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man all throughout his life on earth in order not to broadcast his deity because he knows it's going to cause people problems, particularly the Pharisee religious people. But the demons come right out with it, acknowledging that Jesus is more than just a man. He is the very Son of God. Go back with me last week to the boat with the disciples. What was one of the things the disciples said at the end? This is ironic. If you just go two verses back, the disciples are in the boat with Jesus after he calms the storm, and they ask, what kind of man is this? They get to the shore, and the demons answer the question. Wow, I didn't know they were evangelists. The demons answer their question for them. What the disciples debated, the demons declared. The demons know who Jesus is. They said he is the Son of God. James chapter 2 and verse 19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder or tremble. The demons believe in one God. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And the Bible says they tremble. But guess what? They're still not saved. The demon's proclamation of Jesus as the Son of God here in Matthew 8 shows us theologically that saving faith is more than just believing something with your mind. They know it's true. Everybody say they know it. You must actually, though, put your trust in Jesus in order to be saved. The demons know that Jesus is God, but they don't trust him for anything. They don't trust him for salvation. They don't walk with him. They rebel against him. So that's the second thing we learn. First, Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Everybody say now, he knows Jesus is God. And thirdly, Satan knows his time is short. This is the third thing we learn. After the demons address Jesus as the Son of God, the rest of that verse in verse 29, they shout at him, have you come here to torment us? Before the time, they know there's a judgment. Well, they got some good theology. Well, 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 they should because they were in heaven with him. Don't miss the first part of this question. Have you come here? Have you come here from where? That's the question I would ask the demons. What are you implying? Where did he come from? From where? Certainly not just simply from the other side of the lake. The question goes deeper than that and presupposes that Jesus came from heaven to earth. Now we're at the virgin birth. For the people who don't believe that it is possible for a woman to have a baby without being with a man. It is impossible except once when God declared it would happen. And guess what? He did it with one of the other angels that didn't follow the devil. And he's known as Gabriel. Another archangel who brings messages. Are you with me? So this question reveals that these demons know him, and it reveals how they know him. They knew Jesus in his pre-incarnate state as the eternal Son of God in heaven because Jesus is the one who threw them out of heaven to begin with. Now he's fixing to drive them out of these men, and one day they know and declare he will judge them forever. Now, the demons, as I said, they have excellent theology here. They believe in the existence of God. They believe in the deity of Christ. They also believe in the certainty of future judgment. So you know what that shows me? This shows me that you can know a lot about the Bible, you can believe a lot of right things, and never be saved. And that's why when Jesus says there are going to be many who will say to me in that day, did we not cast demons out in your name? Didn't we not do all these things in your name? And he said, you know what, depart from me. 
I never knew you. It's the Greek word gnosko, and it means to know just like in a marriage you would know your spouse intimately. Hebrew word is yada. Adam knew Eve, and they had a son. Intimate. You didn't know him that way. How many would say the demons are not intimate with God, yet they got all the theology? So you see... The demons know why Jesus is here. Look at your next verse. 1 John 3, 8 says, The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Today we're talking about defeating demons. That's why Jesus came to earth. Not only to save us, but to destroy the works of the devil, according to 1 John 3, 8. And they know judgment's coming because we read this in Jude 6. And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper dwelling place, these he has kept in eternal restraints under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So there is an appointed time for judgment, and the devil and his demons know that. That is why we read this in Revelation 12, 12, for this reason, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great wrath, knowing that he only, he has only a short time. And when Jesus comes back, the second time, the second coming of Christ, he will bring the kingdom of God in its fullness, and Satan and all his demons will ultimately be judged. And there is an appointed time coming for that judgment, and Satan knows it, and these followers of Satan knows it, and that's why they bring it up. So that's what we learn from Jesus' confrontation with Satan in these verses. Are you getting anything out of this? So Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He knows that Jesus is God. And thirdly, he knows that his time is short. That's point number one. Under number two, we move now from Jesus confronting demons to Jesus defeating the demons. Look at verses 30 through 32. Now there was a herd of many pigs feeding at a distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you are going to cast us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go, and they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. First point I want to make is, A, Satan has no power over Jesus. Verified again, fifth time. Fifth miracle. Same result. He has no power over Jesus. Now, one thing I want you to see here. And did you notice that these demons are literally begging Jesus in this passage? Everybody say they're begging him. They don't even put up a fight because they know he's fixing to cast them out. And they know they're no match for him. Now remember, in the Old Testament, when Satan approaches God in chapters 1 and 2 of Job... He's presenting himself to God, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? Church, let me tell you something. God's not surprised when the devil's wanting to take you out. He knew that's what he wanted to do with Job, because Job was blessed. Job, back in his day, he was a very successful rancher. He had 11,000 head of livestock. He had camels and donkeys and cows and sheep and had 11,000 of them. Before it was all said and done, he got them all taken away because of the devil. But by the time God was done with it, he had more than he had before. In fact, God doubled it. He had 22,000 head of livestock. Got all his kids back. Amen? Amen. But the point I want to say is that Satan could do nothing to Job without first asking permission. Satan has a lot of power in this world. But he has no power 
except that which God allows him. And he certainly has no power over Jesus. Because Jesus told his disciples in John 14, right before going to the cross, I will not, look at this in 14 verses 30 through 31, I will not speak with you much longer. For the prince of this world is coming. That's Lucifer. He has no hold on me. I love that. It's kind of like a, kind of like a Western. I don't know how many of you like Westerns. My, my female relatives in my household don't really like Westerns, so I have to watch them by myself if I watch a Western. So if you ever want to watch a Western, say, hey, Pastor, I want to watch a Western with you. But it's like the guy who's a faster gun. He's like, I don't fear this guy because he knows he's fixing to blow him away. He's saying, Pastor, you shouldn't be watching Westerns. I'll work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, I guess. (laughs) Every time I do, though, I'll say this. I look at it spiritually. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And in every one of those restaurants, that's exactly what the bad dudes are doing. Trying to rob a bank. They're trying to hold a lady hostage. They're taking a school captive. And the good guys come in and take them out. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now watch this. When Jesus tells his disciples that Satan has no hold on him, he is literally saying, hey, guys, listen, he has no power over me. Jesus went to the cross not because Satan had any power over him, but because Jesus loves the Father and does exactly what the Father asks him. And the Father said the only way, the only way we're going to be able to save him is for someone innocent to die for him. Because the blood of bulls, goats, and lambs doesn't forgive their sin. It just pushes it ahead. The cross was God's idea, not Satan's. Do you know when Jesus was crucified? It wasn't just on the day he was crucified. The Bible says he was crucified from the foundation of the world. Because God knew what man would do. And God made us anyway. So the cross was God's idea, not Satan's. And in this great contest between Satan and Jesus, there's no contest because Satan has no power over Jesus. Number, letter B. Satan must obey Jesus' commands. The demons beg Jesus to send them into the pigs, and as soon as Jesus says one word, everybody say, say the word. Have you noticed this? This is a consistent thing throughout these miracles. It's just the, the Roman centurion, Lord, just say the word. Just speak the word, and he'll be healed. With a word, he cast out demons. With a word, he healed them. Guess what? When God, created, when God created the heavens, do you know literally what the Hebrew is? We read this in Genesis, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when he spoke, it says, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. Do you know what the Hebrew literally says? Light be, and light was. So God literally, when he stood out there and he began to create, he literally just said, light be. There it was. I find this out about God. He doesn't talk as much when he's dealing with business. He just goes right to the point. And so he, all he says, all Jesus says is go, and they went. At that point, they had no choice in the matter. Notice Jesus says the word, and they go. The demons are shouting at Jesus. Jesus just simply says, go. Jesus would later tell his disciples that some demons would only come out for them with much prayer and fasting. I want to tell you this. If you ever confront a demon, you better absolutely know you are ready. Because they know 
who belongs to God. Remember the seven sons of Sceva that went out trying to cast out devils like Paul? They said, in the name of Jesus of whom Paul preaches, we adjure you to come out of him. And that one man, the one man, however many demons he had, jumped on those seven dudes, beat them up, stripped them of their clothing, and they ran away naked. And guess who their daddy was? A priest. You'd think these pastor's kids would know. They're like, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who in the world are you? That's what came out of this dude. And he just beat him up through the power of those demons. So listen to me. You got to be ready and know that you are ready. But here Jesus just says the words, one word, and the demons obey him. This is what James 4, 7 through 8 says. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now notice this in James 4, 7 and 8. The first step is often the one people miss. A lot of times people go out rebuking the devil and they haven't done step one. Step one was in verse 7, Submit yourself to God. The first step is for you to submit yourself to God. That's because Satan doesn't need to obey any of your commands. You only have authority over Satan in Jesus. But when you submit yourself to God in Jesus, then when you resist Satan, he will flee because he knows it's not you. I want to tell you something. Devil's not afraid of this five foot six inch sawed off little man, David Drew. He's not afraid of me. But fill me up with the Spirit of God, and I'm His worst nightmare in a given day. So are you. Not because of me, because of Jesus. Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do, and greater works than these shall you do, because I go to my Father and I send my Holy Spirit to you. In my name, you will cast out demons. In my name, people are going to get healed. Even to the point where Peter would just walk by somebody and his shadow would heal him. That's how much power of God he had on him. This is the same guy that denied even knowing Jesus, cursed. You say, man, I don't know if I could ever do it. If, say, if, if Peter could do it, so can you. So Satan must not only seek God's permission for things he wants to do, he must also obey God's command for things he doesn't want to do. Simply put, Satan must obey Jesus' commands. Let her be. Let her see. Are you still with me? Satan's doom is guaranteed. Say that out loud. Satan's doom is guaranteed. And this is the third thing that we deal with here in this uh, second point is that this is demonstrated by the mad rush of the pigs down the hillside, and they're dying in the lake. Now, in, in, in Matthew or in Mark and Luke, we find that when Jesus confronts this one certain man, that he asks, what is your name? Not the man, but the demons. And do you remember what they say? Legion. For we are many. Now, a Roman legion was made up of 6,000 men. One of the people that Jesus delivered from demons, Mary had seven. Can you imagine 6,000? Now, whether it was a Roman legion or not, we don't know the exact number, but there were many because there were a legion, and there had to have been at least 2,000 because there were 2,000 pigs. Some theologians say if it was the 6,000, there were at least three per pig. Hmm. How many of you are getting an idea? You don't want to mess with the devil if you don't know Jesus. 
Because guess what? These guys became this way because they did not know Jesus. These men who are possessed by the devil are being stolen from, defeated, and destroyed because their life is not with God. And church, they're real today. People sometimes wonder, why did Jesus allow these demons to go into the pens? They think, you know what, that wasn't a very nice thing to do to the pigs. I can just imagine pe- people in 2024, somebody call PETA. That's people for the eth- ethical treatment of animals. Well, remember, what's going to happen to these pigs anyway? They're going to get slaughtered. Besides that, is this a kosher food? Is it something the Jews should be raising anyway? There was once a man who owned four pigs. He loved those pigs. He even named those pigs. He named them ham, bacon, pork, and sausage. He loved those pigs. But he knew what they were ultimately for. So why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the pigs? To give you a visual demonstration of his power. The gospel of Mark tells us that there were about 2,000 pigs in the herd. And so this great number of demons were driven out of at least one of these men. And it's one thing to drive out one demon. And trust me, even one demon has far greater power than you or I ever do without Jesus we would be completely outmatched. So it's one thing to drive out the demon. It's another thing to drive out two, but to drive out 2,000 demons at least with one word is an amazing display of power. Church, this is a preview of coming attractions. It's a prelude of what is yet to come. Now we know that Jesus already won total victory over Satan. Look at Colossians 2.15. The Bible says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross to disarm them. It'd be like taking away their gun, taking away their ability to fire at you, taking away their missiles, taking away their nukes. So Jesus has already defeated Satan. Where did he do it? At the cross. Publicly. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And when Jesus comes back, Revelation 20.10, he's going to bring the kingdom in all its fullness, and Satan will be completely destroyed. Watch this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, forever and ever, forever and ever. There's not going to be an end. How long will their torment last? It will never end. Satan's doom is sure. First, he has no power over Jesus. He must obey Jesus' commands, and his doom is sure. That ought to just give us glory bumps. Number three, even after all this, Satan still works to deceive. So far, we've seen Jesus confront the demons. We've seen him defeat the demons. Now, the last two verses of this passage teach us that Satan still works to deceive. Verses 33 and 34. And the herdsmen ran away and went to the city and reported everything. Watch this. Including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So those guys who were tending the pigs run off and tell the town what happened with the pigs and also what happened to the demon-possessed men. And I love that little detail, including what happened to the demon-possessed men. Look at verse 33 again. Including what happened to the demoniacs. It's almost as if they included that part as an afterthought. I mean, in other words, they missed the whole point. As far as they're concerned, the main story had to do with the 2,000 pigs that ran down the hill. 
The whole town comes out to meet Jesus, but instead of welcoming the Son of God and embracing him with faith, they beg him to leave. Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 15. Look at this. This says what happened. Then they came to Jesus. <laughs> now watch this. This blows me away. When I, every time I read this, it, it, it just, it, 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 I can't comprehend it. They came to Jesus and they observed the man who had been demon-possessed. This guy who would jump out and try to kill you if you pie the tombs. Try to take your kids and kill them. They saw this man who had been demon-possessed sitting down. Clothed. And in his right mind. The very man who had had the legion, the most demons. And they became frightened. What? Wouldn't you think the state of that man prior that frightened them, once that was removed, it would remove the fear? They were afraid. Satan may no longer possess the two men of the tombs, but he continues to deceive the whole town about Jesus. And just as the demons begged Jesus to send them into the pigs, the people and the town begged Jesus to leave their region. The word is begged, pleaded. It's the same word in the Greek. Two points under this point. Letter A, the whole world is under Satan's control. Watch this. The Bible teaches us that Satan's future doom is sure, but in this present darkness, this whole world is under Satan's control. This is what we read in 1 John 5.19. Are you ready for this? John says, we know that we are of God. How many of you would agree that you know that? And that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Who's that? And because Satan is still in charge of the world, he continues to deceive people about Jesus. Even when those demons proclaimed him. We read this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. You say, Pastor, why would this happen for this very reason? God chose us in 2 Corinthians 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? So that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What did the demons call him? You son of God. The people in this town are deceived about Jesus. Jesus had just cast these demons out of these men who were terrorizing their children. He restored them to their right minds, and yet the people were so upset about losing the pigs, they wanted Jesus to leave. You know, I was reading D.A. Carson wrote this, a commentary on this subject. He said, the loss of the herd became a way of exposing the real values of the people in the vicinity. They preferred pigs to people, swine to the Savior. Have we changed much? The great white spotted owl, this endangered species, preferred over the unborn human. No, we haven't changed much. I hope we can all agree that people are more important than pigs. And I hope we can even more agree that Jesus is more important than pigs. Notice they blame Jesus for the loss of the pigs rather than Satan. 
Yet Jesus gave the demons permission to enter the pigs, but Satan is the one who asked to go into the pigs and then drove them into the water. Satan is the thief who comes to steal. Did he take their pigs? Did he steal them? Did he kill them? Did he destroy them? You see it? And yet they blame Jesus, and they beg him to leave, and people keep doing this today. Bad stuff happens, and they blame God. They asked Jesus to leave, and he left, and the Bible never, ever, ever says that I can find that he ever returned. Now, the guy who got the demons out of him, he had a little bit different. I'm not going to go into details on that, but he had a little bit different approach. He actually wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, no, you stay here. So, I don't know. Maybe he evangelized his people. I tell you to have a great testimony, right? What this says to me, because I can never find where Jesus returned, be careful what you ask God to do, especially when you ask Jesus to leave you alone. 1962, we don't want prayer in school anymore. No more prayer. United States of America, no more prayer in the classroom. God, we don't want you in our classroom. You know what's interesting? If you want to read a, an amazing dictionary, find Noah Webster's original 1828. You'll find him defining things in our world and using the Bible as his source. So little Johnny used to, when he was asked to go to the dictionary and define a word, he'd be quoting the Bible in one-room schoolhouses in America. If you make anything in your life more important than Jesus, you are being deceived by the devil and you will eventually lose out. Last thing, B, Jesus came to give us understanding. Satan still works to deceive in this world, but Jesus came to give us understanding. We looked at 1 John 5, 19 a minute ago, which said that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now let's look at verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come. And has given us understanding. Why does he do that? So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Yes, Satan still deceives. But Jesus has come and will give to anyone who will receive it understanding. He reveals the truth to us so we may know Him who is true. He opens the eyes of those who have been blinded by the God of this age so that we may see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So, Pastor, how do I pray? Pray that the blinders that the God of this world has put on the minds of the unbelieving would fall. And you've got power to do that. People don't believe because the devil deceives. So what is this miracle in conclusion? What does it mean to us today? Well, it means Jesus has complete power over Satan. Satan was defeated at the cross. His time is short and his doom is sure. He has no power over Christ. And he has no power over those who belong to Jesus. People don't believe because Satan has blinded their minds so that they can't see the light of Christ in his glory. So we've got to pray. You see, what is my purpose? Right there. Pray for the blinders to be removed. What would happen? What would happen? If the church of Jesus Christ all over the United States would just pray that prayer, 
in, in, instead of lambasting the sinner, instead of getting into the arguments about what's not right, go into the Spirit and take care of what's wrong. Lord, open their blinders. Remove the blinders and then set a godly, righteous man or woman in their path. So you see, we need to pray for the blinders to be removed off of them. And if you are in Christ, Jesus has opened your eyes so that you can see the truth. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been given authority in Christ. You do not need to fear Satan. You do not need to fear his attacks. Because the great deceiver has been defeated. So don't give him place. Don't give in to his lies anymore. He's come to give you understanding. So, let's walk in the light. Now, let's live according to God's truth rather than Satan's lies. We've looked at five miracles. We're halfway there. Ten miracles of Jesus. And in every one, he overwhelmingly conquers. I think that's somewhere in Scripture too, isn't it? Thank you, Jesus. Bow with me. Your word, Lord, is forever settled in heaven. Give us power to settle it on earth. Walk with us. Anoint us with a deeper anointing. Help us go deeper than we are right now. Deeper in our walk, deeper in our talk, deeper in our prayer, deeper in our study, deeper in our knowledge. Father, I pray you'd loose your presence like never before in this day and hour through your people. Revive us. Renew us. And begin to move through us like you moved when you were on this earth. And if that's your prayer, would Jesus say a big amen. God bless you. Love you guys. Have a great week. Take care. I need to just speak really quickly with all my board members before you leave today. If you can just meet me down front. Just got to take care of something real quick. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Yeah, just come on, come on forward, Mary. Come on forward.